Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we are getting honest with ourselves, opening the other eye and asking a tough question. Are we flexible, agreeable, or bending to please? You might identify with being easygoing or having a go-with-the-flow attitude, never causing any waves and always blending in. Sounds nice and very agreeable, but what if you are flexing and bending your belief systems, stepping out of your comfort zone and compromising your values to please someone else? We all want to fit in and be accepted to some degree, Sometimes the degree is off the charts as we lose our identity in the endless pursuit for validation. How can we have it all, fit in, and self-assert? It's not as delicate of a balance as you might think. It starts with removing fear. When you operate from a place of how others might judge and criticize you, you lose your authenticity. What makes you, you? Let's find that person and see what they have to say. Ready for an honest look with eyes wide open? I always thought I was easygoing, able to just relax and go with the flow. Matt cleared that up for me by reminding me of my lists and schedules and a need for a plan. Okay, okay, he's right. Maybe the word I was searching for was flexible or agreeable. I like people to feel comfortable. I want to say yes more than I say no. I just want to make everyone happy. Oops. Yep, I crossed the line. I am a people pleaser. I never really identified with that term or the fact that it may not be a good thing. Who wouldn't want to please people? What's the alternative? Make people mad? I definitely shy away from confrontation. And I feel a little anxiety if anyone is in an uncomfortable spot. This might seem empathetic, but I have learned over the years that balance in everything is everything. Dr. Margie Warrell gives us a little more clarity in her article for Forbes.com, Are You Too Agreeable? Seven Strategies to Push Back Without Coming Off Pushy. General Patton said, If everyone is thinking alike, then somebody isn't thinking. Despite the widely accepted recognition that groupthink is lethal and diversity of thought is crucial, too few people are willing to push back on the consensus opinion. And too many say they agree, even when they don't. The reason is simple. Challenging the consensus opinion is risky. After all, what if everyone disagrees with what you have to say? What if everyone thinks you're just being difficult? What if your boss thinks you're trying to undermine him or the assumptions underlying your opinions are ultimately proven false? Speaking up to express an opinion that isn't held by the majority takes courage because it puts you at a risk of being sidelined, criticized, rejected, or outright ejected from your seat at the table. 
However, Kathy Calvin, president and CEO of the United Nations Foundation, in an interview from her book, Stop Playing Safe, whatever your career, you have to be willing to take risks, to speak up, and to push back when you don't agree with what others are thinking. Of course, your boss and your coworkers may not always agree with you, but that doesn't mean that you aren't adding value, winning respect, and growing influence simply by showing you have the courage to say what you really think. Being someone others can rely on for a candid opinion, even if not always politically correct, can open doors to opportunities that rarely go to those who never share an original thought and constantly choose the safe path for fear of ruffling feathers. So, while no one likes someone who is overly pushy or continually force-feeding their opinion down other people's throats, sometimes it's important to challenge the status quo. She wrote in Stop Playing Safe, When you go along to get along, you deprive others of the value your perspective holds. Everyone is worse off. Pushing back isn't about putting others down or being disrespectful. It's about sharing a fresh perspective that can lead to better outcomes for everyone. Being willing to stick your neck out when the circumstances call for it will set you apart and make you more valuable to your team and your organization. So here are seven strategies to help you push back without being perceived as pushy. Number one, distinguish position from person. Disagreeing with someone's perspective can activate their defenses as they leap to protect their particular view of a situation. We've all been around those people, right? It's therefore important to distinguish the opinion that you're pushing back from against the person who holds it. Doing so will enable you to disagree in a way that others don't feel as arrogant or righteous, but instead respects how they came to see things as they do while offering an alternative perspective. What's important is that people understand that you're not pushing them back, just their position. Don't you think we could all benefit from that knowledge? How many times do you get in a conversation that gets heated because everybody is so passionate about their opinions and then you walk away mad? Everybody's just mad at each other. But it's just opinions. Shouldn't we be sharing those? Number two, offer a solution. Come armed, ready with an alternative solution or recommendation. It's easy to say, I disagree. But it's not easy to develop, present, and sell a different solution. If appropriate, consider enlisting a co-conspirator who's trusted by the person you're pushing back against to help you back up your stance. Number three, back up your position. Prepare ahead with good examples that support your case and perspective. Since most people tend towards being risk-averse, Demonstrating what others have done in similar situations may counter any misgivings and alleviate any fears. Number four, state the business case. Ground your pushback or disagreement in a business-related reason. Opinion is important, 
But if people see that it's a legitimate business concern that's driving your concern or disagreement, then it takes personal judgment and personality out of the equation and keeps the conversation focused on the content. I think we can all see that. If you tell someone their opinion is crazy versus citing where it actually didn't work out in that favor through maybe a business case or something that already happened, you're not really attacking the person, are you? Hmm. Number five, inquire before advocating. If there's something you disagree with, I think I understand what you're trying to say, but help me with this aspect. I'm having trouble seeing how to get from here to there. This moves you from advocating for your opinion to just inquiring. By inquiring, you're better placed to turn the conversation back to your winning points. (laughs) Number six, yes and... Instead of saying yes but, say yes and. The former negates anything that came before it and seems combative. The latter creates an extended conversation that builds on ideas already expressed and invites further conversation to expand perspectives. For instance, I hear what you're saying and would like to ask you if you had considered this dot dot dot. (laughs) Number seven, concede defeat graciously. If you're not going to win, Be sensitive to when it's time to give up the fight and accept defeat graciously without alienating yourself or damaging trust in your relationships. You're then more likely to earn respect as someone with the courage to speak candidly yet respectively. I love what she says about distinguish position from person. That's just it. You can have an opinion without changing who you are. Someone can judge your opinion, agree, or disagree without that reflecting on you as a person. And in turn, it goes the same way. We all have ideas and things that are important to us. This is what shapes who we are. When we clone ourselves, taking on the likes and actions of others as a way to fit in, we lose our unique identity. I can speak from this from a place of experience. I've been guilty a time or two. It wasn't a conscious effort. True people-pleasing or codependency is a deeply rooted compulsive behavior. In the early stages of self-discovery, you may have zero idea of what you're doing. You just know it isn't working. You feel miserable, misunderstood, and never good enough. Trying to be someone you're not is exhausting. But what if you let your guard down and you just did you? Easier said than done. And if you spent the better part of your life being what you felt others wanted you to be, you may not even know who you are. Doesn't finding you and releasing your thoughts and opinions without fear seem like a worthwhile leg of your journey? I think so too. Let's dig a little deeper and see if we've uncovered something here. Crystal Ray Pool shows us how to stop people-pleasing and still be nice in an article she wrote for Healthline.com. People-pleasing generally goes beyond simple kindness. 
It involves editing or altering words and behaviors for the sake of another person's feelings or reactions. This came to us from Erica Meyer. She's a therapist in Bend, Oregon. You might go out of your way to do things for people in your life based on what you assume they want or need. You give up your time and energy to get them to like you. Meyer says this is how people-pleasing can cause trouble. The urge to please others can be damaging to ourselves and potentially to our relationships when we allow other people's wants to have more importance than our own needs. So let's talk about recognizing the signs. If you're still not sure you're a people pleaser or you think you're just extremely kind to others, here's a look of some telltale signs of people pleasing. You have a low opinion of yourself. People pleasers often deal with low self-esteem and draw their self-worth from the approval of others. I'm only worthy of love if I give everything to someone else is one common belief associated with people-pleasing. You may believe people only care about you when you're useful and need their praise and appreciation in order to feel good about yourself. You need others to like you. People-pleasers often spend a lot of time worrying about rejection. These worries often lead to specific actions designed to keep people happy with you so they don't reject you. You might also have a strong desire to be needed, believing that you have a better chance of receiving affection from people who need you. It's hard for you to say no. You might worry that telling someone no or turning down a request for help will make them think that you don't care about them. Agreeing to do what they want might seem like a safer option, even if you don't actually have the time or inclination to help. Many people agree to do something when they'd rather not, like helping someone move. (laughs) We've all had that call. But a pattern of this can cause problems, since it tells people their needs came before yours. Some people may abuse this, ignoring your boundaries, because they know you'll do what they want anyway. You apologize or accept fault when you aren't to blame. Are you always ready with a sorry when something goes wrong? People-pleasing involves readiness to take the blame, even when what happened has nothing to do with you. Say your boss asked you to go for pizza for lunch, but the restaurant mixed up the order. You didn't get the two gluten-free pizzas you ordered, so three of your coworkers couldn't eat. The receipt clearly states gluten-free, so it's clear the mistake happened at the restaurant. Still, you apologize again and again, feeling terrible, believing your coworkers will hate you and never trust you to order lunch again. You're quick to agree even when you don't agree. Agreeability often seems like a surefire way to win approval. Say your coworker presented their ideas for an upcoming project at a team meeting. What a great idea, you might say to one of your coworkers while telling another fantastic plan. But their ideas might be completely different, and you might not agree with either. If you go along with something you don't agree with just to keep everyone happy, you're setting yourself up and others for future frustration. 
If both of the plans have clear flaws, you're doing everyone a disservice by not speaking up. You struggle with authenticity. People pleasers often have a hard time recognizing how they really feel. Continuing to push your own needs to the side makes it harder to acknowledge them. Eventually, you might not even feel sure about what it is you do want. You also may not be able to voice the feelings you are aware of, even if you want to speak up for yourself. For example, you might avoid telling your partner they made you feel bad, thinking something like, they didn't mean it, so I shouldn't say anything. I'll only hurt their feelings. But this denies the fact of the situation. They hurt your feelings. You're a giver. Do you like giving to others? More importantly, do you give with a goal of being liked? People pleasers tend to like giving. Myers explains, making sacrifices might feed your sense of self, but it can also lead to a sense of martyrdom. You might give and give, hoping people will reciprocate with the affection and love you desire. You don't have any free time. Simply being busy doesn't mean you're a people pleaser, but take a look at how you spend your free time. After taking care of essential responsibilities like work, chores, childcare, what's left for you? Do you have time for your own hobbies and relaxation? Try to pinpoint the last time you did something just for yourself. Do you have many moments like that? If you can't think of any, you could have some people-pleasing tendencies. Arguments and conflict upset you. People-pleasing tends to involve a fear of anger. I know. This is pretty logical. Anger means I'm not happy. So if your goal is to keep people happy, anger means you failed at pleasing them. To avoid this anger, you might rush to apologize or do whatever you think will make them happy, even when they're not even angry at you. You might also fear conflict that has nothing to do with you. If two of your friends are arguing... You might try to offer advice or tips to repair the situation so they'll be friends again. Getting involved. I think that's called getting into someone else's hula hoop. How it affects you. People pleasing isn't inherently negative. This is according to Myers. Part of having relationships with others involves taking their wants, needs, and feelings into account. These tendencies often come from a place of concern and affection. But trying to earn the regard of others usually means you neglect your own needs and feelings. In a way, you're putting on an act. You're doing what you think people want so they'll like you. You might only pretend to enjoy helping since this is part of keeping people happy. This isn't exactly honest. And over time, people-pleasing can hurt you and your relationships. And here's how. You feel frustrated and resentful. If you spend all your time doing things for others, the people you help might recognize and appreciate your sacrifices, but they may not. Over time, they may take advantage of you, even if that's not their intention. They may also not realize you're making sacrifices for them. 
In either case, being nice with ulterior motives can eventually cause frustration and resentment. This often bubbles out as passive-aggressive behavior, which can confuse or even upset people who genuinely don't understand what's happening. People take advantage of you. Some people will quickly recognize and take advantage of people-pleasing tendencies. They may not be able to name the behavior, but they do know you'll agree to whatever they ask, so they just keep on asking. And you keep saying yes because you want to what? Right, make them happy. But this can have serious consequences. You might face financial problems if people ask for monetary assistance. You could also be at a higher risk for manipulation or mental and emotional abuse. If you're a parent, this behavior could have other consequences. You might let your child dodge responsibilities because you don't want to lose their affection. But this prevents them from learning valuable life skills. They might be happy now, but in the future, they'll have some pretty hard lessons to learn. Your relationships don't satisfy you. Healthy, strong relationships are balanced and involve give and take. You do nice things for loved ones, and they do the same for you. You probably won't have very fulfilling relationships when people like you only because of the nice things you do for them. Affection isn't a commodity. When all you do is give to present yourself as the person you think others want you to be, you're not showing up in the relationship as yourself. It's difficult to maintain, much less feel satisfied with relationships where you aren't actually present. Stress and burnout. One huge impact on people-pleasing is increased stress. This can easily happen when you take on more than you can handle. You don't just lose out on time for yourself. You also find yourself with less time for things you really need to do. To get the bare essentials taken care of, you might end up working longer hours or going without sleep, eventually facing physical consequences of worry and stress. Partners and friends become frustrated with you. Your partner might notice the way you agree with everyone or wonder why you apologize for things you didn't do. It's easy to fall into the habit of helping others at the expense of putting time and energy into a relationship. People-pleasing can also backfire. When you do so much for others, you take away their agency to do things for themselves. Loved ones may also get upset when you lie or tell modified versions of the truth in order to spare someone's feelings. So where does this come from? Myers says we are people pleasers for many reasons. There's no single underlying cause of people pleasing tendencies. Instead, they tend to develop from a combination of factors, including the following. Past trauma. According to Myers, people pleasing behaviors sometimes arise as a response to fear associated with trauma. If you've experienced trauma, such as child or partner abuse, at one time you may not have felt safe maintaining certain boundaries. You may have learned it was safer to do what others wanted you to do and to take care of their needs first. By pleasing, you made yourself likable and therefore safe. Self-esteem issues. Messages about your identity from early relationships with caregivers can be difficult to erase. If you learn, for example, that your value comes from what you do for others, 
This will probably play on repeat through your life unless you work to undo that message. Fear of rejection. Early relationships can stick with you in other ways too. If your parent or caregiver offered you approval and love based largely on your behavior, you probably realized pretty quickly it was best to keep them happy. To avoid rejection in the form of criticism and punishment when you did something wrong, you learned to always do what they wanted, perhaps before they even asked. So how do you overcome it? If you want to break the pattern of people-pleasing, Recognizing how these behaviors show up in your life is a good step. Increasing awareness around the ways you tend to people-please can help you start making changes. Show kindness when you mean it. It's perfectly fine and even a good thing to practice kindness. But kindness doesn't come from a desire to earn approval. And it generally doesn't involve any motive beyond wanting to make things better for someone else. Before you offer help, consider your intentions and how the act will make you feel. Does the opportunity to help someone else bring you joy? Or will you feel resentful if the act isn't returned? Practice putting yourself first. You need energy and emotional resources to help others. If you don't take care of yourself, you won't be capable of doing anything for anyone else. Putting your own needs first isn't selfish. It's healthy. It's okay to be a giving, caring person. It's also important to honor and tend to our own needs. Keep in mind that needs can involve things like offering your opinion in a work meeting, getting comfortable with your emotions and feelings, and asking for what you need in a relationship. Learn to set boundaries. According to Myers, developing healthy boundaries is an important step in overcoming people-pleasing behaviors. The next time someone asks you for help or you're tempted to intervene, consider this. How you feel about the action. Is it something that you want to do or are you dreading it? Whether you have time to see to your own needs first. Will you have to sacrifice limited time or skip out on a necessary chore? How helping will make you feel? Will it make you feel happy or resentful? Wait until you're asked for help. No matter what the problem is, you're always ready with a solution. You volunteer for a housekeeping task at work and jump in with suggestions when a friend mentions any kind of problem. Next time, challenge yourself to wait until someone explicitly asks for help. If your partner goes off on a rant about how awful their boss is, for example, show how much you care by listening instead of listing off tips to deal with the situation. They may want empathy and validation more than anything else. Talk to a therapist. It's not always easy to break long-standing patterns by yourself, especially ones that form in childhood or are as a result of trauma. A therapist can help you explore what's behind your need to keep others happy. If there doesn't seem to be a clear cause, they can offer guidance on coping strategies to help you address specific ways you tend to people-please. The bottom line? People-pleasing might sound like a nice thing, but it doesn't do you or your loved ones any favors. If you feel exhausted from trying to keep everyone happy, 
consider talking to a therapist about how you can make yourself happy first. Okay, how many times did you raise your hand and think, OMG, that is me? Great, just one more thing I need to try and fix. Wah, wah. If you identify with this behavior, it's a good thing to uncover no matter what your age or stage in life. You can live free by recognizing the characteristics, getting honest with yourself, and being willing to overcome the fear. Remember when I said deeply rooted compulsive behavior? It's still there for me, just under the surface. And if I fall into former behaviors, it rears its head. And I can be spinning out of control with this need to control and fix. I love coaching on codependency because it helps me to hear it over and over. And it wasn't until I got free that I became fully aware of how this behavior altered my perception and controlled my life. I'm honest with Matt, and he understands that it does come from a place of honesty and love, however misguided. He gently reminds me when I'm starting to spin. I can't tell you what that means to me. Not throwing it up in my face, criticizing me, or making me feel like I'm crazy. He patiently reminds me that I don't need to worry about that. Just that easy. It's a wake-up call I need to get back in my own hula hoop. Thank you, Kate B., for that wonderful visual which helps me understand boundaries and what I'm responsible for and what I'm not. What if you could channel all your energy into finding yourself, activating your power, and elevating your voice? Well, Beth Gray helps us with finding your voice, loving your authentic life, in an article she wrote for Inner Life Coaching. Recovery might require a new set of standards and values by which to lead your life. Maybe some of the following words or phrases resonate with you. Disengaged. Unfulfilled. Unhappy. Stuck. Inauthentic. Going through the motions. Living up to old dreams. Yesteryear. Living up to other people's expectations. I forgot what the question was while pursuing the answer. Life just got in the way and took over. And then one day you wake up, finding you lost all respect for yourself and others, and you ceased loving. Above all, don't lie to yourself. The man who lies to himself and listens to his own lie comes to a point that he cannot distinguish the truth within him or around him, and loses respect for himself and for others. And having no respect, he ceases to love. There is an extraordinary power that is held in you being you. When I suggest you need help finding your voice, I'm not referring to a writer or a speaker. Instead, I want you to find the power of the small, still voice somewhere deep inside that dares you to stand up for you. It's finding that voice that dares you to think your thoughts, that dares to speak your mind, that dares to make decisions that are right for you because they are right for you. The voice that truly represents who you are, 
At this moment in time, who do you wish to be? I invite you to search for your best authentic, true version. The you that keeps your word, especially to yourself, that wakes up when the alarm goes off first time. When you know the value of starting the day early, you keep the smallest promises to yourself. I will get up at this time. You finally recognize that if you lied to yourself about something this insignificant, you couldn't trust yourself for more essential things in life. I want you to find you. The you that keeps your word about how much exercise you want to do and how you want to feel in your own body because you care about you. You keep your word about what you will do and get finished today because what you say to yourself matters. Finding your voice is discovering the you that has investigated for yourself. What do you really think? What do you truly desire? And who you most deeply are, the deep inner you. You are, in your own unique way, really creative, truly compassionate, and fiercely courageous. They say that we come into this world as living souls with infinite potentiality to be discovered and released when we dare to live life from the inside out. A story is told of a man who sits brooding at his desk in the evening. Early that day, he received his dismissal notice from a company that he had served for more than 20 years. He's busy despairing on the difficulty of getting a new job at his age. The impossibilities of living on his income. The shock of finding himself dispensable in the world. Useless. Washed up. A little spider was walking across his desk at that moment, and unconsciously, he brushed it off. Immediately, he found himself watching in awe as this tiny creature took this disaster of being swept up into the air and off its path and spun a tiny strand to bear its weight and gracefully swing down to the floor. If that spider, a tiny creature, can get into the flow of using all its talents and natural resources and deal so creatively and gracefully with crisis, why can we not do the same? Your innate power lies within. Could you invest a little of your time discovering your inherent ability? This power comes from knowing who you are and what your strengths are and the resources that you have at your disposal. The power of a person that owns what they say, that can compassionately and yet clearly say what they mean. Can you permit yourself to be you, warts and all? If you just stopped trying to be a better version of everyone else, you might find way more success using your creativity to be the only one who does what you do. Finding your inner voice. Who am I? When you're alone, taking off the labels of relationships, religion, profession, nationality, and all the rest of the tags that society or even you've placed on yourself, who are you? Knowing thyself now. It does you little good to know the person you were 10 years ago, even the person you were last year. It's not going to help you today. Who are you right now? Are you in touch with your feelings and needs? We are human beings. Who are you now? And I would even go further. We are human beings. 
Who are you becoming? Most importantly, who do you want to become? Understand this is me here and now, even as I grow and change. A caterpillar who seeks to know himself would never become a butterfly. I started off asking you if you were stuck, unhappy, or disengaged. One of the issues with forgetting who you are, truly, madly, deeply, is that you can't express who you are because you don't know anymore. You've become trapped in the definition of self that you made up some time ago. Or worse yet, you failed to define who am I and someone else told you. As you get to know yourself, you find happiness. I like this, but I don't like that. Then you can say, I want to do this, and I don't want to do that. When you know yourself, you feel less conflicted. Your actions will align with your inner voice and values. When you know the answer to who am I, it's easier to make better choices for yourself. Do I like this sweater? What would I like to eat? What do I want to invest in for the rest of my life? Knowing who you are and finding your inner voice allows you to slow down. Do you feel that you are busy living your life with other people's choices? Or are you choosing what you would like to do? Do you love your body? How does this influence your wardrobe? Who decided your lifestyle? What are your limits and boundaries? Here are some great questions to ask yourself. How good am I at... X. How well do I do what I do? What are my strengths and weaknesses? What are the limits of my strengths? Strengths might be your abilities, skills, and talents, but don't forget your character strengths. Loyalty. Respect for others. Love of learning. Emotional intelligence. Empathy. Encouraging others. Or a great listener. Do you know your superpowers? Because knowing these strengths also gives you self-confidence. Knowing and acknowledging your weaknesses allows you to hold back from accepting responsibilities or roles that you're not cut out for. And one of the best things about knowing yourself or really understanding your likes and dislikes is having the power to say no when you really mean no. How many times do you say yes to social obligations, invitations, responsibilities, and commitments when you wanted to say no? Because you weren't standing in your power. As we bring the show to a close, it's that time for your top 10 key highlights. Number one. When you operate from a place of how others might judge and criticize you, you lose your authenticity. Number two, speaking up to express an opinion that isn't held by the majority takes courage. Number three, it's important to distinguish the opinion that you are pushing back against from the person who holds it. Number four, when we clone ourselves, taking on the likes and actions of others as a way to fit in, we lose our unique identity. Number five, doesn't finding you and releasing your thoughts and opinions without fear seem like a worthwhile leg of your journey? 
Number six, the urge to please others can be damaging to ourselves and potentially to our relationships when we allow other people's wants to have more importance than our own needs. Number seven, next time, challenge yourself to wait until someone explicitly asks for your help. Number eight, you can live free by recognizing the characteristics, getting honest with yourself, and being willing to overcome the fear. Number nine, recovery might require a new set of standards and values by which to lead your life. And number 10, there is an extraordinary power that is held in you being you. share encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they are not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, take the time to uncover the authentic you, your opinions, your passion, and your voice. Being open to a new perspective is being flexible. Going along with it just to be liked is being too agreeable. Find a balance that puts your thoughts and feelings first. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone threw until the path was clear. That's when I found you.